Amen. Well, go ahead and grab a seat, everybody. Welcome again to Mern Covenant Church. I'm Ben. I'm one of the pastors here on staff as well. And um, what I'd like you to do is, uh, is put on your imagination hat. Um, I'm not a very good imaginator, um, but I'm going to try. And so I'm going to try to imaginate with us. That's not even a word. I know. So let's imagine. All right. So imagine it's Saturday late morning. And this is in the hills of South Jerusalem. Um, and there's a, a group of shepherds who have been uh, tending their sheep. And it's late morning, and late morning is like the busiest time of the day for shepherds. This is the time of the day where they've had to go and round up the sheep that have wandered off into the night. These are the sheep that they've had to mend because they may have gotten attacked in the middle of the night. Um, being at nighttime, that just seems to be a time when you get sick and die? I mean, those are the things that happened to sheep. And so shepherds would go around and they would find their sheep. They would find um, their people and make sure all the sheep are accounted for. And then not only do they have to do all that work in the morning, then they have to walk with them to a place, uh, to a watering hole. And so they've just finished up their, their morning r- routine. They've checked out all of the sheep. And, uh, and the head shepherd, Omar, is, uh, is, is a little bit frustrated because he's shorthanded um, because he let his son actually go into Jerusalem that night to celebrate Shabbat dinner with his uncle. And so they're moving from uh, outside of Jerusalem. They're moving just outside this town called Beit Sehor, and they're, they're, they're trying to find this watering hole. And it's the middle of the day. And what's so fun about the middle of the day is shepherds, they, you know, they're kind of lonely people. They're isolated people. There's little groups of them that work together. Um, and so once a day, in the middle of the day, when they would go water the sheep, there'd be an opportunity to kind of meet up with other shepherds and kind of hear about the news of the land, hear about the news of the empire, catch up with each other before they go find a pasture for the evening. Well, at this point, you know, Omar is uh, just frustrated because his son, um, Avi, is just late, as always, as you can imagine a young teenage boy being late, right? And, uh, and sure enough, up over the rise, they see their son, Avi, coming up over the rise, uh, joining his dad to kind of get the sheep all taken care of. And Avi got to participate in this really special Shabbat dinner um, in, his fa- in his uncle's house in Jerusalem. And if you can imagine a little quaint, humble home um, with candles like this, celebrating the past, I mean, sorry, celebrating Sabbath, the end of the week and it's Sabbath rest. And you have a dinner with your family and prayers to honor God. And, um, and it was not only just a normal uh, Shabbat dinner, but it was his uncle's birthday. And so he, he got to be invited um, but because he was always his uncle's favorite. Um, but there's a little bit of, of tension, as you can imagine, because um, the uncle's sister married a lower class, right? His uncle is a merchant. His mom married a shepherd. And so there's a, this little rift, right? And you could just feel the dad have a little bit of angst, like wanting his kid to go experience this. But he, um, you know, is in the middle of all that. So he comes, he, he finishes his meal. He comes in the morning and he meets up with all the shepherds. And even all the shepherds are a little bitter that he got to go do this thing. They still want to know what is happening. What's, what's the news in Jerusalem? And just like, you know, your Thanksgiving dinner, people sit around, they have some wine. All of a sudden they start talking religion and politics. And the same thing would be happening in the ancient world. They would sit around with their wine and they would start talking about, um, you know, Herod, he's added another tax because he wants to rebuild the second temple to make it just as beautiful as before. And as as good Jewish people, like they don't like being taxed, but at least it's for the worship of God. But then the Romans, right? They're, they're taxing even more and we hate the Romans. And so everyone just like spends time, you know, bashing on the Romans and they hate being oppressed. And they just long, there's this distant memory of someday the Messiah is gonna come and make all things right. 
And this, this, um, and as they're talking, his uncle's a merchant. And because he's a merchant, they actually have like really fancy food and spices. They have access to these spices from Egypt that no one else really has because these trade routes have just kind of opened up. And so he got this front row seat of like all the happenings. And so when he goes to see his dad and he's telling his dad all about it, you know, they're all like leaning forward. Like it's like the news. It's like their version of TikTok. They're like, what? No way. And so they're hearing all the stories and hearing all the stories. And you could just sense Omar, the dad, you know, being both glad for his son to experience this, but also just the, the low-level shame of not being able to provide certain things for his son, being a little bit on the outside, and having to go back to the hard work of being a shepherd. And so after the stories, after um, all the sheep have had enough to drink, it was time for them to take the sheep and move them um, out from Bethlehem and into the field of Boaz, which are these fields right outside of Bethlehem. And so they moved them to the fields outside of Bethlehem, and they got all the sheep all buttoned up for the night. And as the sheep were all buttoned up for the night and they've had their dinner and, uh, and, and Avi, the, the son, lies down and goes to bed, I can just imagine him thinking about his day. Because as a young teenager, he's starting to be socially aware enough. He could sense his cousin looking side-eye at him like, your clothes don't really match. You smell a little bit. He knows that he's a shepherd and they're merchants. He had to work on Saturday, the Sabbath. Everybody else in good Jewish society got to take the day off and worship God and be with family. But the shepherd, there's no day off for a shepherd. And so he had to work that day. And so he just knew and sensed like, right, all the feelings of a good meal, but just the distance of not quite fitting in. And so as he's getting ready to go and lie down for the night, I could just imagine, um, Avi, like probably most of us would do, would try to make sense of where does, where does he fit in? Where does he fit into the big story of God? He knows he doesn't have money, he hasn't the resources, he's a lower class. And while he is a shepherd, he does know that God seems to pay special attention to shepherds. God loves shepherds. And if you're a shepherd, you're going to harp on all of the stories of your youth about all the ways that God used shepherd and told stories about shepherd, right? Abraham, the father of our faith, was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd for a while. King David was a shepherd. The prophet Isaiah talked about the sheep of God and God being the ultimate shepherd. Like, so he, I can just imagine him being like, okay, I'm a shepherd. This is my spot. But how cool and how special that God has this special spot for him. And I can just imagine the end of this day, the end of all this experience, lying down, going to bed, and he just takes out his lyre and he begins to sing his favorite prayer, the prayer of the great shepherd caring for him. And it might have sounded something like this. <laughs> This is Psalm 23, and it says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake, and even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, and in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Well, I love this group of shepherds, and I could just imagine this grouping of shepherds, and we're going to actually spend this Advent season walking along the story of these shepherds. 
this group of, of old and young men who are a little bit on the lower class of society doing this hard work of being shepherds. And yet, as we know from the Christmas story, it's these group of shepherds that the angel came and chose to give his message to. It's this group of shepherds who then got to go and run to Bethlehem and get a front row seat to the birth of Jesus. And it's these shepherds who got to leave transformed by being one of the first people to encounter the God becoming a baby moment that changed humanity forever. And so this Advent season, we're just going to spend time walking through that. And this morning, the thing that I want to make sure that we don't miss is that the good news of the gospel of Jesus is for every single person. And every single thing about the story of Christmas, every single part of the story, in every part of the gospels, the number one thing that's communicated besides God uniquely coming to be human, to begin ushering in his kingdom, is that this message is for any and everybody. And I don't want us to miss that this morning. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter two, and we'll take a beginning, a look at the, sorry, we'll look at the beginning of the story. So in Luke chapter two, verses eight and nine, it says this. So here it is, there are these shepherds, Omar, Avi, maybe their uncle. They're living in these fields nearby. And here they happen to be in the, 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 um, the fields of Boaz, right outside of Bethlehem, keeping watch of their flocks by night. And it was to this group of shepherds that an angel of the Lord appeared and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. The angel of the Lord shows up to these group of shepherds and they were terrified. Now, the first thing I think about this is in the kind of normal part of the Christmas story is the shepherds kind of really got a VIP treatment. I mean, if you know your scriptures, the angels, that's like a normal thing. Like we think we read the Bible, angels should be showing up all the time. Miracles should happen all the time. But you realize it's pretty few and far between that these supernatural moments break into normal life. And it's actually pretty rare for the angels to show up. I mean, God spoke to, I mean, Moses spoke to God um, and Daniel, the angel Gabriel showed up, but it's pretty rare. And so these angels showed up to this group of shepherds because they wanted to pronounce that the good news that the Messiah was being born is for everybody. And I love it says that they were terrified. So not only do they get this VIP treatment, not only these shepherds were honored among almost the handful of people throughout all the scriptures, they were terrified. And it's so funny because I think about myself, I think, gosh, I would, I'm just not terrified. I am not a terrified person, mostly because there is nothing sacred in my life, unfortunately, right? Our world is so common. We've experienced everything. We've seen everything. We're like, we're so jaded by everything. Like once you see like Jurassic Park, you realize anything you can see happens on, you know, Hollywood can make anything happen. But in the ancient world, they didn't have Hollywood, right? I mean, I remember like a few years ago, there was a, like a blood moon uh, that was rising somewhere. I mean, this shows me my lack of astronomy, but this is the basic gist, right? Some, some astronomer, the moon turned red. That's all that matters. And I remember people like, oh, this happens every 400 years. We're so lucky to be alive because this happens every 400 years. And I remember I walked outside and I looked at the moon that happened to be a slight shade of red. And I was like, huh. And I went back inside and watched Jurassic Park. You're like, that moon does absolutely nothing for me, right? But that moon, that slight shade of red every 400 years freaked people out. War started because of it, right? I mean, people just lost their mind because what is God trying to say because the moon is this little shade of red? But for us, we're like, eh, right? It's just nothing, it does not matter to us. And so I think it's helpful to, like we have to do some work to be able to, re, to recognize that God, the most holy creator of the universe, all-consuming fire, 
all-powerful, omnipotent being wants to interact with us. And if he showed up or his messenger showed up, we should be terrified. Right? That is a terrifying, terrifying thing. And so it's just a good, at least for me, to have a little pause that I need some more sacredness in my life. I need to remember that God is this holy, righteous, all-powerful God. And the fact that he wants to engage humanity, which is great and so special, but there deserves to be some awe, some reverence, some taken aback, like, whoa, God has something to say. And listen, I love our church. I love that we're super warm and warm-hearted and casual. But I also just pray that sometimes we don't miss it, that God is other and deserves this reverent, humble adoration. And when God shows up in our world, we should pay attention to it. Now, for as terrifying as God is and can be, what I love about the angels, they say, right, do not be afraid. Because for as holy and powerful and consuming as God is, he's also loving, gracious, long-suffering, tender-hearted, full of compassion and kindness. And that's the God who is trying to get our attention, who wants us to honor him, who wants to be invited by him, and wants us to worship him. And so this good news is for every single person, and it begins with the shepherds. And you think if God's going to show up and become a human being, there's a bazillion ways he could have done it. And because we've been to church a long time, we've sung the Christmas carols a long time, I think, yeah, he came to shepherds. But it's actually a super unique thing that God would choose shepherds to be the first people to tell about this. And what's interesting is you think in our life and in our world, um, there's actually nothing for everybody. Isn't that kind of weird if you think about that? Like very special people get honored. Um, if it's someone you love, they get a present. Um, if it's like some of the, the, the poor and ostracized, maybe during Christmas we'll like bring a meal, right? Like there's like certain things that you do, but, but the fact that everybody gets a gift, everybody gets a thing, it is not normal. And you know it's not normal because the most incredible cultural moment happened in September 13th, 2004. It was just like yesterday for Kirk. It was a little bit of ways ago for me. And for some of you guys, that was a long time ago, 20 years ago. You may remember this. This was the, this was the day that Oprah Winfrey gave a car to everybody. Yeah. Like, do you remember this? And if you don't remember, like, like my daughter at least even knows the memes, right? And it was freaked people out. These were just these normal moms. And you don't remember, like in 2004, Oprah was the queen of daytime television. She could do everything anything, did anything. And she would give away things here and there. And then what's so incredible is this one day in September, she gave everybody in her audience a car. You get a car, you get a car. These moms were losing their mind, right? And it wasn't like, like in the Ellen era, because like in Ellen, you know, she figured this out. What they do is they would go, hey, on this day, let's invite all the special people, all the moms who have really done well for others. We'll invite them and then we'll do this special thing to bless them, which how great is that? But in Oprah's era, they didn't even know about that kind of stuff. They just were, you were a normal mom. It was your Thursday to go to Oprah and you got a car. And it blew people's minds. It blew people's minds so much. I went on vacation to Chicago with Katie. And she's like, we got to go to the Oprah studio. Maybe we can get a car. We got, I'm like, so here we go, the gift shop. We bought all the things and we didn't go. But, and, and didn't get a car. But it blew people's minds because nobody gets everything, Right? Everybody doesn't get something. There's always a reason. There's always a rationale. And what I love about the story of Christmas is that Jesus makes it so clear that his good news and his grace is for everybody. And for you, you might think, oh my goodness, there's no way. 
not me. You don't know me. You don't know my past. You don't know where I come from. And every single thing about the Christmas story, Jesus is like, oh yeah, whatever you think you did, whoever you think you are, I'm going to double down and find worse and worse and worse and let you know that I'm for them and I'm for you. Or you're like, man, this Christian thing, this beauty of Marin Covenant, this is for us Marin beautiful people. This is for us. And everything about the Christmas story, Jesus is like, no, this is for everybody. So he comes to the shepherds, but what's so incredible is when you think of the, the Christmas story and you look at Luke and you look at Matthew and you look at the different stories, he came to the shepherds, which were like the lower class. That's all nice. He came to the Magi. He came to these ancient um, astrologers from a distant country. They weren't even Jewish. They weren't clean. They weren't part of the Jewish family. And yet they were invited from a different land to say, come and worship this Jesus. That the, the, the angel uh, of the Lord came to Zechariah, who was Jesus' uncle in the temple. He was the great high priest to so the most important religious leader of the moment. He came to him in the temple and said, you're going to have a son and your son is going to usher in and be a forerunner for Jesus. I love that. In those three places alone, Jesus made it so clear, right? It doesn't matter if you're religious. It doesn't matter if you're a foreigner. It doesn't matter if you're lower class, that this message of salvation is for everybody. Now, it's funny, shepherds always get a bad rap because they're the lowest class, but I, I, I decided to ask ChatGPT, I said, hey, ChatGPT, give, give me the social structure of the ancient world, and uh, it took a little work to get it dialed in, but this is what it gave me. Starts out like this, the royal and noble class, and then the priestly class, then the rabbis and religious scholars, then the merchants, then the farmers, then the laborers and servants, and then the shepherds. Right, that makes sense. The shepherds. But that's only half the list. It goes on. Then there's tax collectors <laughs> and lepers, ethnic and social outcasts, beggars, and slaves. That's a pretty big spread. And what's so awesome about the story of Jesus, and when you look at the New Testament, Jesus interacts with every single person on this list with dignity and with grace and with mercy, right? Even Pontius Pilate, the highest political person of the class um, to um, Zachar, I mean, from uh, Nicodemus, who was a religious leader, to the Sadducees, right? To all the, the masses of the merchants and farmers, all the people that came and listened to him in Sermon on the Mount, he was gracious and kind to them. To the shepherds, he got to announce his birth. He invited a tax collector to actually be one of his disciples. Think of the, the, the lepers and marginalized people who were unclean that he healed. The woman who was bleeding for 12 years and marginalized forever. Jesus sees her and heals her. The ethnic and social outcasts. I love the beggars and destitute. The, 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 there's a story in John where Jesus goes to the, the pool of Bethesda and there's all these beggars waiting to get into the water to be healed. Can you just, like, it's a beautiful story, but can you imagine how that would just smell. And all these destitute, broken people lying on their mats for decades. And Jesus shows up and gives them dignity and heals one of them. And I love this, even slaves, Paul, there's a whole letter in the New Testament where Paul is talking about and advocating for a slave and saying, this slave isn't just a slave, he's your brother in Christ. I love the story of Jesus and that the message of the good news is for everybody. So no matter where you are on that list, Jesus sees you and invites you. And no matter where you're on the list, man, it is not just for you. 
Here's the last thing I want to share. In Matthew, uh, he does his own way. Like Luke um, right, says, hey, here's the shepherds and, and kind of does poking at the coach culture that way. Matthew, who's this, you know, this Jewish scholar and has this very Jewish-esque version of the gospels. This is how he begins his uh, story of Jesus of Christmas, right? He begins with a genealogy. And a genealogy is basically your resume, right? It's like, hey, how do I trust this person? Well, here's a letter of recommendation. Well, back then, your letter of recommendation was your family. And so here's the letter of recommendation. Jesus is born of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David. Oh, yeah, that's Jesus, right? He's look at his resume. But Matthew is such a little jerk. Like, like the fact that he did this, the fact that he got away with this is crazy. He goes, yep, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But this is, oh, and you know what? What about Tamar? Or Tamar, right? She was this woman who has this total family drama. It's like, it's not even PG, right? And she gets included into the genealogy. Then it goes on. Solomon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute, a foreign prostitute in Jericho. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. And for us, I mean, in that world, when it was a very male-dominated, patriarchal, ethnic world, to just in the genealogy, just poke at people and go, oh, here's this family, you know, family secret for the whole world to see. Oh, here's this woman who's like, un- should not be talked about and she's part of it. And then he, he, in the middle, it says, it's David, the father of Solomon, whose wife had been Uriah's wife. Oh, <laughs> that hurts, right? He could have said, oh, David and Bathsheba and had Solomon. No, Uriah's wife. Oh, Uriah, that was the worst moment in David's life, Right? He calls on this woman who's married to somebody else. He goes, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant and murders her husband so he could be with her. In the genealogy of Jesus, he didn't have to add that. He could just been Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, we're good. (laughs) And I just think these gospel writers work so hard and I wanna make sure that we don't miss it because we're so used to the stories that Jesus made himself available and open to every single one of us that we might experience the good news of Jesus, the good news of the gospel. That grace is for you, it's for me, it's for the highest of high and the lowest of low and all of us in between. And so as we experience this Advent this year, I really pray that we would not miss it. And so as we transition to communion here, um, I just want you to know that you also get the VIP invitation. And we may not get angels showing up and being like, here's a message from God. But God in his graciousness and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit is running after us. He's running after you. He's running after me. And he wants to invite us to be part of his world. To not just be servants of a mighty king, which would be awesome, but to sit at a table, his table, as a daughter or a son. Take on the mantle of his children and then do the work of the kingdom as co-heirs with Christ. What an incredible story that is. And that story is for you, it's for me, and boy, is it for everybody outside these walls. And so may we have eyes to see and ears to hear this Christmas. And so to mark that, we're gonna do what Christians are doing all over the world today, which we're sharing in this meal. The meal that gives us spiritual food, the meal that connects us to Jesus, the meal that connects us to the greater body of Christ so that we can have all that we need to be nourished, to be God's hands and feet and share that message with others. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it. 
He said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he poured out the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. Paul goes on to say, for as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we celebrate the Lord's life, his death, and his resurrection. And like Pastor Jeff said, we long for him to come again and make all wrongs right. But until that day comes, we have been empowered and commissioned by God himself to be his hands, his feet, to bring grace and mercy and hope to a world that desperately needs it. And may we be generous to share that with any and everybody for the glory of Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, during this next song, I invite you to stand and you can come forward to the front or the back and uh, grab the communion elements. And anytime during this next song, you can take them and partake in them as we end our time together in worship. Let's come and eat.